Okay. So Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, how, how far away is it? He says, he says two days. Now in Jewish time, that could mean, you know, the next two days, or it could be counting the day they're in. And so, like Passover is the next day. A good example of that is in eight, chapter 8, verse 31, it says Jesus is going to be killed three days later, He's going to be resurrected, but we know the day he was killed is, starts as one day of the three days before the resurrection. Honestly, that's not overly important here. Um, what he does point out is Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. So what was Passover? You could say, this is what Passover was about. What would you say? Okay, the, uh, death passed over, um, and, and she, uh, she brought up about um, you know, what they had to do, uh, death passes over the house. If you ever want, what is pass over? Death passed over <laughs> the houses. And so what did they have to do in order for death to pass over? Yeah, they had to slaughter a lamb, take its blood. And, and it sounds just, it sounds nasty to us, doesn't it? But it's, it's highly symbolic. This is highly, uh, very, Im this is important language to us. Uh, and so, and all of this was about freedom. This is about their inheritance of who they are. And they were taken out of this, this bondage of slavery, and they were freed. Uh, and this, this last plague was, was a big part of that. So Passover began uh, the, the week, long festival of what? unleavened bread now what is this feast of unleavened bread what was its significance yeah they had to leave in a hurry right they had to get out of there quickly in haste so you know you put yeast in bread it usually takes a couple of hours say look you don't even have time for that you know don't you we want you to make unleavened bread for this 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 passover feast that all of this is being in the setting, and, and it's all very significant is what we find. Now, at this point, the chief priests and the scribes, and let's talk about them very quickly, they are uh, a big part of what is known as the Sanhedrin, okay? So when we hear about the chief priests and the scribes, this is, this is what we're talking about. And in the temple, here's the, the, you know, the women's courtyard, this is the temple itself, and right there was the chamber um, where they held council, okay? Am I hearing a ring? Is it me? Huh? Oh, everybody check your earplugs. Make sure you're not... Huh? Yeah, hearing aid. That's what I meant by earplugs. All right. If... If you, if, you, if you didn't hear that, then you're probably not hearing the ringing, so uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so here we have the, uh, the Sanhedrin, and it's a part of the temple, okay? And they are plotting to kill Jesus, right? There is this plot. And, um, and they want to put Jesus to death. Now Mark, it's very important, Mark doesn't say the Jews are plotting. He doesn't say the crowds were plotting this. He doesn't even say the Pharisees. 
very important for us to understand what was happening and what all of this um, is linked to. And the official decision to murder Jesus has to do with the comments that Jesus made about the temple. These people who hang out at the temple, who have their meetings at the temple, they, they run things at the temple, they don't like Jesus. Um, but as much as they hate Jesus, they do not want him to be arrested during the festivals. Why? Is it because they were so high and holy? <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen. Okay. So if you do Passover, you're a Jew. There's only one place you can do it. Does anyone know where it is? Jerusalem. Now, they expanded it out into the, the outer parts of Jerusalem a little bit. But you had to be in Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is, is tripled in size during these festivals. And we've already noticed there's these, these zealots that are out there. There's people who are very, they, they don't like the Romans. They want to have this uprising. And there's always a threat to, for these uprisings. Uh, in fact, Josephus writes about some of these, these riots that broke out during times of festivals. And so during this time, the Romans really amped up security. And even the Roman governor, he left his home in Caesarea, and a lot of times he came to Jerusalem because he wants to keep an eye on what's happening here, make sure, you know, the feasts are what it's supposed to be. Um, so the Sanhedrin, they, they are afraid of something. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of the crowds, aren't they? I mean, we've seen this... Uh, on a couple of occasions, they, they want to take Jesus out, but these crowds, and Jesus would have been all the talk at the festival. And so the last thing they want to happen is for something bad to happen and it just blow up in their face. So they're, they're really counting on this stealth. And I love this word in the English Standard Version. In the Greek, it means shrewdness as demonstrated by being skilled in deception. All right, you're getting the idea of what's happening here, this plot, this deception that's happening? So these leaders knew that if riots broke out, it's going to be on their heads, and, and they may even lose power as the puppets of, of Rome. So they want the streets to be at peace. So they're, they're, they're watching this very carefully. All right, that's the first part of the sandwich. Now let's get into the creamy part, right? Somebody read for us verses 3 through 9. All right, so all of this is happening where? Well, actually outside of Jerusalem. I want you to keep that mindset as we go into worship. It's outside of Jerusalem um, in this little place of Bethany. Here's the Mount of Olives. Remember, Jesus left the temple, and he went up to the Mount of Olives, and this is where he made this proclamation of chapter 13 and everything. But now we see this is where Jesus has been staying, is in Bethany, and he is having this meal or banquet or whatever you want to call it. It wouldn't have been Passover at this point. Uh, and he's having it at the, at the home of Simon the leper. Um, we don't really know anything about him. Uh, it's possible Jesus had healed him of leprosy. We don't know. We just, you know, because Simon's not interested in, I mean, uh, Mark is not interested in Simon. Who is he interested in? Well, he's interested in Jesus, but the woman, 
right? He's really interested in what she's doing here. And what does she do? Yeah, she takes this expensive perfume, ointment, oil, whatever you want to call it. In Alabama, we say oil. Uh, I've had to try to work on that since I've been in Florida because people don't know what in the world I'm saying. But, um, but this was not just any kind of perfume or whatever. What was it made from? Nard or spike nard. Um, any essential oils people in here? Anybody have spike nard? Okay. Well, I'm disappointed. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I don't have any either. So uh, spikenard is made in India. It was very expensive. It was, uh, it was made from the root uh, of this plant over in India. And so it, it had this, this great value. This is where the expense came from. Now, how did the onlookers, how did they perceive what this woman was doing? They, yeah, they thought it was a waste. And actually, it says they were indignant. Now, that's an interesting word. Look at it. It says, to be or become angered. But notice this. Something seemingly unjust or wrong. So they're not just angry. They're angry because they feel like there's, there's some kind of injustice. What did they think was the injustice? Yeah, she ought to sell that. Because uh, they said, look, this is worth 300 denarii. A denarii, what was it, what was it, its value? Yeah, a day's wage for a common laborer. So this would have been considered almost a year's salary for a, for a day laborer. And it was all in this, in this, this oil. Um, and th so they scold her. I mean, they're irritated. They're, they have this harsh rebuke, re reproof upon her. And, and honestly, it's amazing that a woman has this kind of expensive perfume. Because women, for the most part, they did not have careers, and they, they didn't have lots of money. So it's possible this could even have been an heirloom, and this was just passed down. And so more in the family would take it, and then they would buy a little bit more, and they would put it into this alabaster um, flask, which, makes this, uh, which could even make it even more valuable as to what happens next. How does she open it? She breaks it. I mean, she, she destroys it from, from its use. If this was an heirloom, it's not anymore. She, I mean, even after pouring everything on it, there's nothing left. And, and so what this signifies is what? What? Yeah. A complete sacrifice. She, she didn't just pour the expensive, even pouring some of the contents would have been a, a, a big thing, right? She poured it all out and broke the alabaster flask. We're supposed to see that. Um, now, anointing people's head, this is not something that was new. This, I mean, you know, we've read the Psalm 23 many times, anoint my head with oil, anointing heads was a thing and, and even a time of being a little extravagant you know here's talking about Aaron's beard and, and the oil is poured over the head and it goes down into the beard and onto the collar of his robes but what does she what does she do she pours it all out and Jesus says in even in verse 8 she has anointed his whole body okay this is, this is just I mean over the top 
So what was she doing? Why does she anoint Jesus' head and body? Yes, she's preparing him for burial. Have the disciples caught on to this yet? Has Jesus tried to tell them he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to die over and over again? And what they fail to do as disciples, the closest followers of Jesus, this woman does. You seeing the contrast? Lots of contrast. Uh, so he accepts the woman's anointing as a prepare, uh, as uh, preparation for burial. How is Jesus going to be tried? As a criminal. He will die as a criminal. How do you think criminals were buried? Was there anything respectable about how they would have treated that body? No. There would have been no anointings. We, we, when Jesus is, is killed, um, you know, we see he's just kind of rushed off into a borrowed tomb. There's no announcement of anointing at all. When do we learn about anyone coming to bring some spices and oil? Yeah, like three days later, right? She is actually giving him a respectable burial at this point. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had it. There's something big happening here. And so Jesus tells them, leave her alone because she has done what? Do what? A good work. Anybody else have a different translation there? I love the English standard in this one. A beautiful thing. She's done well. It's actually before that. I know where you, what you're saying. It's actually going to be before that. Um, but she has done a beautiful thing. Do what? Did what she could. It's before that, though. <laughs> yeah, a beautiful thing to me. And, and what that is, it's a beautiful work. It's a beautiful act or deed that she has done. Jesus says, um, uh, and so, and let me say this. How were the other people judging what she had done? What were they basing it off of? Cash value, the whole appearance of this thing. I mean, this is 300 denarii. It, it, man, it could take care of a lot of poor people. But Jesus, how does he look upon people? What does he judge by? He judges on their heart, their intentions, right? Their motives. And, and folks, if we do any good deed or act or work, the only way that it's useful for the kingdom of God is if it's done out of this heart, out of this pure motive as to why we're doing it. And when he does, then Jesus says, man, this is beautiful. Isn't that awesome? Uh, he also says something else interesting in verse 7. He says, you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. Is Jesus being unsympathetic to poor people? <laughs> some people read into it and they think they are, and, and some people will even use this verse and say, well, this is why we don't have to help the poor people. No, 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 no. Jesus understood what the scriptures taught, and in, in many occasions we find examples of this. Um, also, think about this festival of Passover. What was it about? 
It was about being freed from captivity, right? And, and, G, and often, Yahweh, he, he makes these statements of how they are to live their life, and it's based upon a remembrance of who they were. Um, let me show you this one. This is about taking care of the poor. It says, when you gather grapes in your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember. Here's the reason you do it. Because you remember that you were a slave. You were a poor slave in the land of Egypt. And he says, this is why I command these things. So here's Passover. You know, and, and in fact, during holidays uh, or holy days, they actually, at times, they use this to give gifts to the poor. So, so no, Jesus is not saying that at all. Jesus taught and he practiced mercy to those who were oppressed, those who were poor. And he even quotes from one of those passages about caring for the poor. From Deuteronomy 15 verse 11. That's where he takes this, you know, you'll never cease to have the poor in the land. And this may have been, been a rebuke. And the reason I say it may have been a rebuke is because if, the, if they had been following God, the first part of Deuteronomy 15 tells us, there would have been no poor among you. But because these people have sinned, just as all humanity and all races of people and all nations, there's poor in the land. And, and so he says, look, you're always going to have it because here's a part of that, that human nature. Now, the essential issue in verse 7, is it about the poor? Is that what this is about? What is the essential issue Yeah, it's the occasion, right? It's, it's what's about to happen. It's what's coming. Um, she is not just anointing any individual. Who is she anointing? God. The Son of God. And so, if she had done this for just anyone else, then yeah, it would have been a waste. You know? 300 denarii, I mean, that would be in terms today about $30,000, 20 to $30,000, somewhere in that range. And we would have said, well, you just poured that over their head. I mean, this could have done a lot of good. But she is doing it uh, um, for a different reason. And when does it say in the text, when will this beautiful thing be remembered? Yes. Whenever the gospel is proclaimed to the world. Now, did you catch that? That this is, isn't this what was said back in chapter 13? Remember, it talks about the Son of Man and this enthronement. And it also talks about that by the time the temple is destroyed, the gospel will have been taken to the world. Well, guess who's a part of the gospel story? This woman. How about that? Um, and we've talked about the gospel before. All the way back in chapter 1, uh, and, and let me just show you, this word gospel in the Greek is the good news. And we know that's about Jesus. It's news that causes one joy or words that bring smiles or a message that causes the heart to be sweet. I like that definition. Um, at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus proclaimed the Gospel. But now, what are we seeing with Jesus' connection with the Gospel? 
He is the gospel. Isn't that, isn't that great? So you first see this, this proclamation that's happening, and now all of a sudden we see that Jesus is the gospel. He doesn't just proclaim it. It's him. This is, this is the good news. This is why it is sweet and why it brings a smile upon our faces. And it also shows us something about Jesus' death. What does that mean about Jesus' death? Is it the end? No. Yeah. This is the beginning. This is when his enthronement begins. And so from a worldly point of view, it just doesn't seem right that we would say that a gospel, something that makes us smile, something that is sweet, that can, should be described in a matter of death. Right? And burial. But isn't this what Jesus has been trying to tell them about the good news? This, this is that upside-down world that Jesus shows us. He, he uses terminology, tells us about things that aren't supposed to be that way. And in back in chapter 10, you may remember this. This is when, um, I think it was James and John, they go to Jesus and they, they want to have the two best seats. Remember that? Uh, in the kingdom. And, and then at the end, this is what Jesus says. He says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and do what? Give his life a ransom for many. Do you see Passover in this? What word gives you the idea of Passover? What? Serve. What else? Ransom. Yes, ransom. Ransom means what is given in exchange as payment for the release of someone held captive. Folks, they're getting ready for Passover. He's telling us Passover's a couple of days away. And now, you know, the one who has come to ransom us, the one who has come to set us free as captives to sin and death, that's the one who's coming. This is what his death signifies. He, he pays the price. This is why, folks, it's beautiful. This is why it's sweet and it gives us brings a smile on our faces because of what happens, right? All right, so let's read verses 10 and 11. Yes, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, good point. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's a really good point. I didn't even think about the word some there, but you're right. It was, it was not all of them, some of them. This is what they were thinking in their minds. And they felt like it was just, right? Because they felt like she had done something that was unjust. Right. 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 Yes. Right. Or do I 
sure, sure. And I would even say, you know, if there's a concern with someone else, then you go to that person first. And, and I know you, that's implied there. But, yeah, I think, I think you've got something here that, you know, this is going in their mind. And they are scolding her, right? They're scolding her. This is an outward thing that's going on because of an inward thing. But, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to the bottom part of our sandwich. Uh, somebody read for us verses 11 and 12. Uh, no, 10 and 11. 10 and 11. Okay, question. Who initiated contact? The chief, the chief priest or Judas? Judas. Judas initiated the contact. Now, here's my next question. Why? Why does Judas do this? Money? Okay. Anybody else want to throw some stuff out there? Okay. Okay disillusioned maybe by the kind of king he was um if you remember the survey joe sent out um we got the results from it and so this is based on 21 responses that's why it's always good to have more responses but 42.9 percent felt exactly what mike said that it was for the money it overcame his loyalty to jesus the second biggest is 23.8 percent and it was that he lost his faith that jesus was messiah they decided to to support the uh the establishment 14 percent felt that it was the will of god that he had no choice at all and then there's uh well actually 19 percent would be the second from the bottom which is he was trying to force jesus's hand to fight the establishment and then of course 14 percent um, here's what we learn in other Gospels. Luke tells us that Satan entered into Judas. Whatever that means, there's that. Um, Matthew lets us know about the greed, right? He was very greedy. He, want, he goes to them and he wants, what, what will you give me? What will you give me if I turn in Jesus? Uh, John is also very interesting, and it's on this very event of what happened with this ointment, the three, and Judas... You know, he evidently was, you know, open up about, you know, this should have been given to the poor, but we learn what? He was a thief. He just wanted the money to go into the treasury because he's keeping the money and he, he can get more stuff out, you know. So, you know, and, and actually the next chapter, um, this is during the Lord's Supper, it says the devil had already put in his heart, the heart of Judas Iscariot. Um, some... Scholars will tell you, I, you know, I don't think, I think there might be some other things. I think it really had some of what you're talking about, which is, you know, he's very disillusioned with things. Most Jews, what were they looking for in a Messiah? They were looking for an earthly king. They were looking for someone like, you know, the Maccabees, who's going to rise up against this heathen empire of the Romans and finally bring them their freedom and liberation. And they, by the way, they thought this was going to happen during Passover, uh, the time of liberation. Um, and, you know, it's possible that maybe he's like, well, you know what? It sounds like Jesus is going to die. <laughs> and I better, I better get on the winning side kind of thing. Um, but if we stick with the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't say anything about his motives. 
And the reason is Mark doesn't care about his motives. He tells us in chapter 3 he was one of the 12. We learn about this here, and then we will learn about, you know, at the arrest of Jesus. But that's it. Mark just is not interested in what all was going through his mind. What we do know is that Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So sad. He is responsible for his actions. I really believe this. I don't think it's one of these things where you say the devil made him do it. I really believe that he was that person who would do such a thing. Uh, He made the choice. He goes to the chief priests. He's not a victim of circumstance. He's not a pawn of these, these rulers. And I think one of the most chilling parts in, in the Gospel of Mark, as far as statements go, is that when one of Jesus' closest comes to them and says that he wants to betray Jesus, it says that they, it says, when they heard it, they were glad. His treachery made murderers happy, made them rejoice. Uh, Why did the priest need Judas? Yeah. Okay, think about it. You're in Jerusalem, and now it's tripled in size. (laughs) Finding anybody that you know could be difficult. I think a good example of that is, you know, Jesus getting lost as a boy. Remember that? Um, You know, everything can get caught up in this hustle and bustle and everything else. And they needed to know where Jesus' movements were going to be. They needed to know where he was going to be. Is there a secluded place he goes? Is there a place at night when when the crowds have kind of dispersed? They've gone back to these houses and tents and other things. And so only a member of the group can, can give this to them. And something else I think might be of interest, it's pure speculation. So understand this is pure speculation. But later on at the trial... Um, they asked Jesus, the high priest does, says, are you Christ, the son of the blessed? That is the son of God. And we know before when Jesus asked his own disciples, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ. But then what does he say? He strictly charged them to tell no one about it. And Jesus is doing some things that shows that he believes he is the anointed one. Don't get me wrong, but it could be that Judas has given him some of this, given them some of this information. Again, speculation. I don't like to do a lot of that, but but Judas is just the important thing. I want you to see is that he has gone to the dark side, right? He became a spy within the den of thieves. And that's just a terrible thing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for allowing us to be here and to be with your people. Father, we thank you for our time that we're about to enter in and our worship to you. We pray that our hearts and our minds are just completely upon you, that we take this time of communion together, our communion with one another and with you. Father, may it be a time of encouragement and love and sharing and and all the things that you intended this to be. And uh, Father, we just we thank you for those who stood strong, people like this unnamed woman here in our text. And and Father, uh, we just pray that that we would stay, be like her, and not like one who is like Judas or one of these chief priests or scribes or others who will turn against him. Father, help us to watch and be mindful of who we are and our actions. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.